Thank you for tuning into this teaching. We hope this message blesses you. Our mission as Marigold Church is to do anything and everything so that anyone, everyone can encounter the real Jesus. We hope as you listen to this, you encounter the real Jesus. Let him transform your mind, transform your heart, and encounter you today. Hello, everybody. It's so good to see you and to be with you. We are going to start up something new today. We're going to do uh, 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to stay in the book of 1 Peter for a while. We're going to do kind of verse by verse, uh, and sometimes we may be covering just a, a small few verses. Sometimes we'll cover a lot, but what we want to do is really break it down, almost like in a commentary style, and really just break it down for each. That way we can really get a good understanding of 1 Peter. The reason we picked 1 Peter is, is you'll see this as, as we're going to introduce it, kind of give it some background and everything, is we really believe that it was a, a relevant, relevant uh, thing that we could do right now. We know the whole Bible is relevant, but th- we just kind of pinpointed like, wow, these five chapters cover a lot of area. And not only just like deep theology or anything, but also just very basic theology, things that if you're a believer, if you, if you, or even if you're just considering being a believer, like these are the things that you need to know because we don't want you to, to say, oh yeah, Jesus, he's cool, he's great, he's this, and then, and then get this far into it and like, oh man, I don't know about all this. We want you to be a true believer. If you're a believer, we want you to be a true believer. And if you say, wait a minute, I don't think I can do that. Well, we want you to have that too, but we don't want to, to offer any fluff or water it down, anything like that. We want you to know this is the real Jesus. That's part of our mission. Our mission is to do anything and everything uh, so that anyone and everyone can encounter the real Jesus. And we emphasize the real Jesus part. We want you to, to know what you're getting into. So as we get into this book of 1 Peter, we want you to know what you're getting into and kind of getting a background story and on, on it and everything. Also, just Peter and himself, just I felt like he was a really, really good uh, person to, to kind of look at because we see him all over the place, as we'll explain in a little bit. I wrote up some commentary and just, uh, just kind of breaking it down and kind of some thoughts, some backgrounds and, and everything. And so we'll go over that. But before we do, why don't we open our Bibles? I encourage you to BYOB, bring your own Bible, uh, bring it. That way you can uh, kind of follow along with this. And like I said, sometimes we're going to be covering a lot of area in, in the scripture. And sometimes we'll be just carrying some verses. But my, my goal is that you would read along and being able to, to follow along with this. Maybe some, take some notes, get you a notepad, write a bunch of stuff down. I believe it, you'll be able to reference it and go back. And we're going to be doing these in order. And as you're able to reference them back on, on YouTube or social media, whichever way you uh, take in this content, you can go back and, and see this as well. I may also try to link up uh, my notes so that you can have them too and just have them with you and follow along with those as well. But this is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 2. So we're not going to cover a lot of area, but it's going to get into a lot of deep scripture. So we'll see this real quick. I'm going to, I'm going to read the scripture, then I'm going to go into the commentary and what I have, and then we'll kind of break down the scripture as well. So uh, here we go. 
Peter, and I'm reading from the, uh, this, uh, this verse right here, or this Bible right here, the New American Standard Bible. It doesn't really matter uh, whatever uh, Bible or version of the Bible or translation of the Bible, I should say. Uh, whichever one you pick is good for you. Just uh, as, whatever, as long as you can understand it and, and, and uh, follow along and just uh, be accountable to it. So here we go. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And we're going to stop right there. Now, here we have in the very first, right out of the bat, it's Peter. He's saying, hey, it's me, Peter. I'm writing this letter. So this, this first Peter was, was written as a letter, okay? Written a letter to the church. And it's not just the church. We'll do a little bit of background on where that was at the time. But Peter, uh, I'm going to kind of just go through here and we'll, we'll read some of these highlights. But Peter begins his letter by announcing himself as the writer, but also as a disciple or as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But I don't think Peter really kind of gave the full scope. He was, yes, he was, I think he was being more humble in this. Just, hey, I'm an apostle. Well, he wasn't just an apostle. He was kind of like the leading apostle. It, whenever you see in the, in the Gospels where Peter is, is uh, listed or the disciples are listed, Peter's always listed first. And that's, that's not just, uh, uh, just something that they did. It wasn't coincidence. That was very, uh, very much a, a place of honor to be listed first that way. And he was listed first in each of those lists. And which meant he was kind of the leader. He may have even been one of the oldest ones um, out, of the, out of the apostles as well. So there was kind of a, a show of honor and a show of respect in that fact. And so uh, Peter's brother, Andrew, who was another apostle, uh, led uh, Peter to Christ. As, and you, you can read that in, in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 40 and 42. In fact, Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And Peter is referred to uh, by many names, uh, but just a few of them uh, is, uh, is the Simon. So if you'll hear sometimes you'll hear Simon Peter, Simon Peter, excuse me. So Simon was uh, his name in Greek. Uh, Simeon uh, was how they would pronounce it in, in Hebrew. But then later Cephas. Cephas was an Aramaic a word that meant either stone or rock. And that's the, that's the name that Jesus gave him. He says, your name is, is uh, Simon, but for now on, you'll be known as Peter or Cephas. So uh, uh, Aramaic was Cephas. In the Greek, it was Peter. So uh, that's how we really get the, the, the name or, or Petros, the, the Petra, the rock. And so that's where we get that. Peter was the son of a man named uh, Jonas, who was also called John, as mentioned before. 
And uh, most people don't realize that Peter was married. So it never really mentions directly his wife, but it does say he has a mother-in-law. So if you just kind of put two and two together, and uh, apparently his wife accompanied him in ministry. Now, I've often said that if it wasn't for Peter, we wouldn't know a lot of the stuff that we know about Jesus and just the way Jesus would answer a lot of questions. That's what I liked about Peter. Peter was kind of, he was outspoken sometimes, man, kind of a big mouth. But he was just kind of outspoken. He was the one that was going to, if something was going to be said, he was going to say it. And, uh, and I think we can learn a lot from that. In fact, we know more about Peter than of any other apostle because there's more written about him than any other apostle. In fact, the only one that we know more about other than Jesus is Peter. And so uh, Peter, at one point, he says, uh, you know, he kind of boasts and he swears that he will follow Jesus at all costs. But uh, we know that uh, uh, he, was, uh, he abandoned Jesus in his greatest time of need. That was as Jesus was arrested. And that was in John chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. Uh, he, he denies even knowing Jesus. So here's Peter. He goes from, hey, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth and I'll do anything. And Jesus kind of puts a stop to that and says, Peter, uh, before the cock crows, before the morning's even over, before the evening's uh, begun, before, before all this day is over, you will deny me three times, is what he says. And of course, we know that was true. It was Peter that pronounced that Jesus was the Son of God, which was an amazing thing. He was the first one of the apostles to say, wait a minute, you are the Son of God. Of God, Jesus says, Peter, it's, it's, it's not by your own revelation or it's not by the revelation of man that you know this. You've received this from God and it's, and it's this, you as Peter, it's, it's on this basis that, that you would be the rock, you know, or, the, or this, it's, it's on this belief that the church is built. It's on this rock, this sturdy belief that the rock, uh, that the church would be built. And, uh, but... And so you go from that high, high that Peter had, and then he has his low, low, where Jesus actually rebukes him because Jesus is telling his apostles, his disciples, what is about to have happen. He's about to be arrested. He's going to be, get, lay down his life. And he says, far be it from you. In other words, no, you can't do that. You don't do that, Jesus. Well, Jesus rebukes him. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, that wasn't a good thing. He says, get behind me, Satan. So he goes from being Peter the rock to being called Satan by Jesus himself. And not to say that, that he was possessed or anything, but he was being a persuaded by a world system. He was being persuaded by the enemy. And so he called that out. Jesus called that out. There's so much we can learn from Jesus in that moment too. And uh, it was Peter who, after seeing Jesus walk on water, challenged Jesus to call him out to the sea to walk on water as well. Peter, of course, uh, hopped out of the boat, standing in the sea, standing on the water, just like Jesus was. He approaches Jesus. He walks. Uh, he's got his focus on Jesus, but somewhere along the line, he loses focus. He begins to look around and sees the circumstances. He sees the effects of the wind. He sees the waves. He sees everything. 
At that moment, he begins to sink and actually cries out to Jesus who then grabs him and walks him back and, and, and uh, delivers him back to the boat that they come from. His questions as an early follower of Jesus help us so much today because he was, he was so he was kind of fumbling along. He, 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 he was in, in an early part of Jesus' ministry, and so he saw so many things. But you can kind of see as he struggled from time to time, he'd go from these high highs to these low lows and eventually ended up denying Jesus before Jesus was crucified. However, we do see a glimpse into Peter's future after Jesus is, uh, is crucified and he's resurrected and he begins to talk. He has a conversation with Peter. And there's something that happens after the ascension, after Jesus goes back to heaven, there's something that goes on on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he preaches the very first sermon and he does it eloquently. He does it boldly he does it with confidence in Jesus his savior and so we see wait a minute now he's kind of stepping out of that role that he was before as that fumbling and bumbling fisherman trying to figure out what where his place was in this call in this story of Christ in the story of God where did Peter fit now he knows he has this confidence that he's preaching with on the day of Pentecost. And so it really just shows um, where he would follow assuredly in Jesus's footsteps as uh, leading the church as a steady rock that Jesus had called him to be. Now, while, while Paul has been called the apostle of faith, John, the apostle of love, we really see Peter right here in the book of 1 Peter as the apostle of of hope. And I don't mean just, uh, you know, well, I hope this happens and I hope, no, 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 I'm talking about true Christ-centered hope that there's something more to, than this life. There's something more than our circumstances and our surroundings. And Peter writes his epistle sometime after Paul had written his epistles, I believe, between 64 and 67 A.D. So this is a, this is several years after the ascension. So he's been in ministry for about three decades now, about thirty years, and he begins to write this. Now, why does he write this at this time? Well, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to the church for a very given purpose and a very given reason. Nero was the emperor now, and Nero is is on this a tirade and he's going completely against the Christians. The Christians have become his scapegoat. Nero is, is kind of hungry and just he has this hunger and this lust to rebuild Rome. So he is burning Rome to the ground. We've all heard the tales of Nero and he's burning this place to the ground. Well, the people are upset. The people, the Roman people, are furious and, and they're acting out and, and, and Nero has to do something. Yes, Nero's a, an emperor, but he's also a politician in, in some sorts that he's got 
to have people like him. He's got to have people agree and be agreeable in order for him to do what he's got to do without as much, you know, controversy and conflict. So this is what he does. He uses the Christians as scapegoats. He blames them for the fires. He blames them for, for the destruction that is going on. So he's kind of able to do what he's got to do. And he's got this distractor over here with the Christians saying, oh, no, it was the Christians. And so when he begins to crucify them, when he begins to burn them at the stake, when he begins to do all of these things, no one is opposed to it. The people of Rome are not opposed to it because these foreigners, these outsiders, these troublemakers are being getting they're getting rid of them Nero's getting rid of these people that are causing them to be homeless that are causing their 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 history and their and their buildings to be destroyed so that's what Nero is doing in this time and Peter is writing this to say hey Look, um, there's hope in this. There's, you can still have an unspeakable joy in all of this. You can still be a witness in all of this. Endure, submit to the government. Even though they're crazy, even though they're tyrants, even though submit, as long as they're not causing you to sin, submit. And so we're going to read more of that in 1 Peter and it gets really, really in depth. So, there's a few things. Peter's inspired to encourage the church for a few things. Number one, to move forward, to live without giving up hope. Another thing, to live without giving up their trust in the Lord, even though everything that's going on around them, don't give up hope, don't give up your trust in the Lord. Also, without giving into bitterness towards God or man. As we talked about a few weeks ago in a, in a series, uh, Question God, where we ask, why me or why not me? Don't grow in bitterness towards God or to who the enemy is using to hurt you. Number four, also to, to live life all while evan evangelizing your neighbors. And also number five, by looking forward to the return of Jesus. Peter knew the importance for the believers to discover the hope and promises laid out in the gospel, to imagine beyond their current uh, surroundings and circumstances, and to go forward, living lives filled with unspeakable joy in the face of persecution. By doing this, they would uh, be unlikely witnesses to the Roman people of their day. I'm sure many Roman people were looking at the Christians that were being blamed, that were being uh, burned at the stake. You know, they were doing, they would light up the streets by impaling these Christians with these poles through their abdomen where they would have them set out on the streets burning. That's how they would light up the streets. There was this, 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 these displays of atrocities. And Peter's saying, don't give in to that. Don't give in. Even though you see these things, don't give in. You will be a witness by your actions of peace, by your actions of joy and hope that you're not looking at what's going around you. No, but you're looking ahead to the Father. You're looking back, to, you're looking forward to the return of Jesus, to, to Jesus coming back. Let, let those things be at the forefront. And you, and you will get through this turmoil, through this persecution. 
You know, as our times change and the world becomes more and more hostile towards the followers of Jesus, towards his teachings, it's important that we look to the word of God to find our hope. You know, we, when we stand up for the, for the biblical foundation and definition of marriage, what happens? We're accused of, of spreading hate. Oh, you just hate. You're, you're against this group of people. You just don't want them to be happy. No, 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 that's not true. We believe that true joy and true happiness comes from submitting to the word of God. That's our heart. We, we, we're telling you this because we love you. And we're telling you out of love because we love you. We're not, we're not spreading hate. No, we're spreading true biblical love. When we choose to pray and love and support the police in our communities, what, are, what happens? We're called racists. We're, we're called bigots. Oh, you're joining a racist cause. No, no, no. We're, we're just simply obeying what the Bible says as sub, submitting to authority as long as they're not uh, encouraging us to sin. If they encourage us to sin, well, no. We have another law that, over, that overrides the law of man. But no, it never says, we, we're never to use our constitution or, or our rights as some excuse to, to not, uh, not listen to the Bible. Absolutely not. We are to do what the Bible says. When we believe and speak out for separate roles and for men and women as, prescri as prescribed through the scriptures, we're called bigots. If we don't give in to a feminist movement of, of, of every, you know, everything they can do, we can do, and everything we can do, they can do. Wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. The man was, was made in God's image to do what a man does. And a woman was made in God's image to do what a woman is supposed to do. And, and yes, it's a, it's a complementary issue. Not, you know, we're all the same. We're not the same. We're not, we, weren't, we weren't created to be the same. And, uh, and, we're, and we, we're attacked for that belief. Uh, if we proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and all other religions and belief systems are false teachings, we're called narrow-minded fools. And the list of verbal assaults could go on and on. We could just keep on going on. But that's not the point of this. But this is why the epistle is so important to us today. Because today, we too need the same hope, the same joy, the same wisdom, and the same strength that Peter grew in over all those years of following Jesus and following his word and his ministry. You and I need that to endure our circumstances today. So with that in mind, we're going to kind of read that again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And I'm just going to kind of stop I'm going to read it in its first uh, verse one and two, and then I'm going to go back and, and we'll kind of break this up a little bit. So first Peter chapter one, verse one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father by the sanctifying work of the spirit to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the, in the fullest measure. Now here, this does not sound like just your common fumbling fishermen that we saw in the Gospels. No, this is, this is Peter. 
He's got the assurance of his salvation. He's confident. Why? Because he's been through something before when he's with Jesus and, and he's walking in the ministry. He, he knows he's kind of learning the right things to say and he's, and he's learning by example. But now that he's suffered for what he believes, now that he's, he's uh, moved forward in his belief and he's fallen on his face many times, I'm sure, He's able to get up with this assurance that God's got me every bit of the way. Jesus is the real Messiah and he came and he died. He did everything he was supposed to do and he did it for us. He did it to pay our price, our penalty for our sin. And that's why Jesus came to die and Peter witnesses it. The entire thing he witnesses, uh, he's witnessed to Jesus's resurrection and that he saw Jesus. He's witnessed to the ascension and knowing that Jesus is not around. He's witnessed to the Holy Spirit coming down on the day of Pentecost. So Peter is confident and sure. And he's got decades now of experience to to back it up as well. Like he's seen it at work, not only in his life, but in the life of other people as well. But he writes this, he says, to those who reside as aliens, what is strangers, pilgrims of the dispersion, as the New King James Version says, temporary residents or foreigners. A lot of times you'll read in, as you read about Abraham in, in, the, in Genesis, he uses the word sojourner a lot. Why? Because he came out of a land that he knew, the land of his father's, into a land that God had called him to. He was a sojourner, a stranger, dispossessed in a land which does not belong to them. Now, Peter really kind of dives into several key things in right out of the gate. This idea of dispersion. Dispersion is God scattering his people throughout the world. Why does he do that? He doesn't want everybody in one spot. No, he scattered them out so that they could then spread the gospel, spread this good news that you were supposed to pay for your sins. You broke the laws of God. You were supposed to go, go to hell, but Jesus paid the penalty so that you would not, so that you would not have to experience the wrath of God. Instead, you get to experience the full mercy and grace of God. So we see that. Also, as we see uh, uh, that he lists the different areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These are areas that make up the modern day Turkey. But then he goes into this doctrine of election. He says, who are chosen? In King James Version, right off the, the in verse 2, it'll says elect. And uh, of, elect is kind of this comes from this Greek word meaning the called out ones. And then also according to the foreknowledge of God. That's a doctrine, the foreknowledge of God. And then he also touches on uh, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ, the Trinity, okay? Each having their own role but and being very distinct, but also being one. Now, the thing that jumps out to me in all of this is those three things, the dispersion, uh, the, the doctrine of election, uh, especially the doctrine of election, foreknowledge, and the Trinity. Now imagine trying to wrap your mind around those things. Now here we are, Isaiah 55, it, it, and I think verse 8 and 9, he talks about his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. 
it's hard for us to grasp this idea of election. And I know there's, it, it can be kind of a controversial thing or maybe even sometimes a somewhat confusing thing. But just remember, just like it's sometimes hard to wrap our mind around the Trinity. Wait a minute, they're three, but they're one. How does that work? How is it three distinct, yet one? Well, that's something that's a God thing. I mean, it's, we, can, we can create images and illustrations around it, but ultimately, God is the one that's got that figured out. He's the one that truly understands how that works, what it's all about. And one day, if, if you choose to believe, be a believer and you go to heaven, you can, kinda, you can experience that for yourself and see like, okay, oh, this is how it works. This, I, now I get it. On earth, it's kind of hard. On earth, another thing that's hard, it just, I kind of throw it in the mix of this idea of eternity. Everything that we do is wrapped in time. If you watch TV and you pre-record something and you go back and watch it, you can kind of, you're kind of stepping out of time if you've, if you've recorded a live a football game or basketball game or baseball game and you go back. Yeah, that was a live event, but you're able to go back and visit. And so that's even a small glimpse of, okay, it happened. There's free will with the players involved, all this, but I'm outside of it. I'm able to see everything that happens. I can watch this rerun. I, I, there, I have foreknowledge of it. Uh, these people have been elected. I, there, it all kind of wraps into this idea that God knows everything. But even that's a, a tough illustration for us to wrap our mind around. Even if we use this illustration of, of pre-recording something and being outside of it. Because even though we're watching it outside of that time. When we're sitting on the couch watching it, we're still in time. We're in time. So that's another thing that just this eternity, how do we truly wrap our minds around it? This election of God. I will say this. This is how I believe it. I believe that God has given us the gift of free will. He presents himself to us and we choose whether we receive him or reject him when he when you're presented with the gospel you can either say yes i want that i receive that i'm gonna put it on because it's not enough just to believe it if you're jumping out of an airplane it's not enough to believe the parachute would work you have to put it on for it to work and so it's not, I believe, oh, I believe in this. I believe in this. And then you set it down and jump out the plane. No, it's something that you put on. You, you're, I'm putting it on. It, much like uh, God describes the armor of God through, uh, through David. And so we're, you know, just using it uh, in, in those terms. And so I, I encourage you to look at that gospel of election. The, you are elected. You've been chosen. You're the called out ones. If you are a believer, you, it's, you're a believer, you've been elected. Now, does that mean that those who are not believers are not elected? I don't know how that works. That's the foreknowledge of God. I don't know what God knows. He knows it all. Like he does, there's nothing, he's never learned anything because he's always known it. It's not like he had to figure it out. It's not like, hmm, wait a minute, I'm going to create man. But wait a minute, oh no, Adam fell. We got to go to plan B. How do you do, God, I can't wrap my mind around it. 
Out of time, God knew everything. He didn't discover something. He knew it all along. So he knows who's going to believe in him. He knows who's going to reject him. Those who believe in him are called the elected. We will find out how that works completely when we stand before the Father. Until then, we'll just read on, okay? Um, so it talks about the Father, the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus. So you see the Trinity in unity right here. They, they don't contradict each other, but they have their own role. God as the foreseer, as you know, the, for, the, the one with the foreknowledge, the Holy Spirit working to sanctify us, uh, attracting us and, and kind of just tugging us in to this, into, uh, into his will and into his word and then into the, ultimately into the obedience of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say this, and be sprinkled with his blood. What does that mean? Well, that's kind of a, a reference back to Moses and the people of Israel where he would sprinkle them with the blood of a sacrifice to kind of seal the covenant, seal the, the, this covenant to obedience and obey the law. Well, Jesus fulfilled the law. So when, when it talks about sprinkling us with the blood, it's not the blood of a lamb or the blood of an animal. It's the blood of the lamb of God. That's Jesus' own blood. It's a picture back to how now we, in this new covenant, we are sprinkled not by the blood of an animal, but by Jesus himself, that it sanctifies us. It seals our covenant with God. And finally, this last part of verse 2, it says, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You know what that tells me? That there's different measurements of grace and peace. But the fullest me measure of it, the greatest measure of it, is when we are in obedience to Jesus when Jesus is the Lord of our life, when we're not trying to make ourselves the Lord and just, well, I'm going to add Jesus into the mix. No, when he is the center and central part of our life, that is when we live in the fullest peace and the fullest grace, the fullest joy, everything that Peter goes on to talk about as we go on to read the rest of First Peter. Now, Peter... He's not sounding like a bumbling fisherman, is he? He's taking on these, these tough doctrines. You know, Peter's coming from a place where he really knows what, he's go, what, he's, what he sees what he's going through. He sees what his people are going through. So this is not a fluff. This is not a false hope. This is not a peach fuzz preacher coming right out of seminary saying a bunch of stuff he read in a book. No, this is Peter a true man of God that's got some experience, that's gone through things, that's seen some stuff. Peter goes on years after this, just and really just a short time after writing these epistles, and he himself is martyred, but not before his wife. Remember, Peter was married. And tradition says that Peter had to watch as his wife, is crucified. And he's there and he encourages her, don't forget 
the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. He sees his own wife crucified. I don't know if that's before or after the epistles, but Peter has seen some things. Peter goes on himself to be crucified, but he pled with, the, with those that would crucify him. And he said, you know what? I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Savior was crucified. So he actually, uh, tradition says that he uh, pled with them to not uh, crucify him the way we would see a crucifixion, but actually to be crucified upside down. So when you see uh, there's, some, uh, there's some symbols and everything that actually have an upside down cross, some of those, uh, some are, are kind of, you know, they, they are, uh, you know, kind of a mockery to the cross or anything. But when it comes to Peter, it was, it was done out of like, I am not worthy to even die as my savior. This was serious stuff. And we get to see what a serious man of God looks like in 1 Peter. I encourage you, read this, keep on reading, read along with us and uh, keep up with it. We're going to get into some more stuff. Peter is an encourager. He gets into the deep depths of what it is to be a follower of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you for my friend that's right here watching us. Maybe you're watching us or hearing us for the first time. I just extend my voice and my hands out in prayer and just ask, Lord, that you would touch them, that you would tug on their heart, that you would tug on their conscience and see that they, they need you, Father. That, that you paid the price and you've paved the way for them to come to you. I thank you, Lord God, for your words through 1 Peter, that we would take them to heart, that they would begin to resonate within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if this message or any of the content that we've been putting out has blessed you and you're wondering how you can partner with us in generosity, there are a couple ways to do that. You can download the PushPay app and you can search Marigold Church and you can give that way. You could also set up reoccurring giving and it's really user-friendly. It makes it really easy to give. You could also text Marigold to 77977 and give that way. We believe God moves through a generous heart and so we would love to see what God does through you as you partner with us and as we walk through this journey together. Thank you.